Good morning, loved ones. I'm so happy that you're able to join with me today for this time of digital worship. I pray that wherever you are, you just find uh, a space where you can go and listen to this and just feel the Lord's presence with you and that you draw encouragement and strength from that. Uh, if you would, just join with me in a quick word of prayer and then we will jump into our lesson for today. Father God, Lord, I pray that you will just increase our belief and our understanding, Father, so that we might be more obedient to you Give us hearts that are ready to receive this message. Give us ears that are ready to hear your word, Lord, and help us to take these things, Lord, to learn from them and to walk more closely and more fully with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. And so today, loved ones, we are going to be continuing on in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, looking at this great uh, hall of faith passage that we've been looking at for several weeks. And in many ways, this chapter makes me think uh, that we're on a tour in a museum, uh, taking a guided tour, listening to a curator explain to us all the different uh, important events and figures that we are coming across. Uh, and when we come to some of the more impressive and meaningful figures, we see where the author of Hebrews slows down and explains them in more detail. And we see that today. Today, our tour brings brings us to the figure of Moses. And here the author stops the tour to take some extra time to explain to us the great significance of Moses. And the author is going to explain to us four ways in which Moses demonstrated faith. We're going to see that first, Moses demonstrated faith when he sided with God's people. Secondly, we're going to see that Moses demonstrated faith by fearing God above man. Thirdly, we'll see that Moses demonstrated faith by obeying God's instructions. And lastly, number four, we will see that Moses and Israel demonstrated faith by trusting in God's providential plan. And as we listen today to the author's words, we're going to see that not only does Moses provide us a good model of how to live by faith, but that Moses' example points us directly to the one who was greater than he. Moses points us directly to Christ. And because of that, we are not to emulate Moses, but we are to emulate Christ. So if you would, join me very quickly as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Hebrews 11, 24 through 29, where it says this, By faith, when he grew up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God than to enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. He regarded abuse suffered for Christ to be greater than the wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for his eyes were fixed upon that reward. By faith he left Egypt without fearing the king's anger, for he persevered as though he could see the one who was invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the one who destroyed the firstborn could not touch them. And by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as if on dry ground. And when the Egyptians tried it, they were swallowed up. And so let's take a look first 
at how Moses demonstrated faith when he chose to side with God's people. And we're going to look at verses 24 through 26. And so last week, we looked at the author's words concerning the faith of Moses' parents. And here in verse 24, the author then begins focusing on the faith that Moses demonstrates on his own. And in verses 24 through 26, the author explains to us that the first step in Moses' life of faith was his willingness to side with the people of God. The author tells us in verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So what was it that allowed Moses to make this choice? How can we explain how he would turn away from the riches and the luxury of being an Egyptian royal to become a poor shepherd? Well, if you remember Moses' story, you remember that after Moses' mother could hide him no longer, she put him in a basket and floated him down the river, where, as God and providence would have it, Moses was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And when Pharaoh's daughter sent for a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby, it was Moses' own mother who was brought forward. And Moses' mother took that step of faith. And God allowed her to experience the reality of her belief in him by allowing her to raise her own son under Pharaoh's very own nose. And so Moses grew up, yes, in the splendor and all the knowledge of the Egyptians, but he also grew up knowing that Egypt was not his home. He grew up learning that the long-awaited promises that had been made to a people who were living in oppression. He grew up learning of the real God who created all things, the God who promised to redeem the world and all of humanity, and the God who promised to bless the world through a specific group of people. And Moses grew up learning that he belonged to that very group. He knew that he was not a son of Pharaoh. Instead, Moses knew that he was a son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so when he became a man, the author tells us that Moses rejected the things of Egypt. He rejected the splendor and the wealth of the world that was built upon sin and power and oppression. And Moses sided with the people of God, with the Israelites, with his flesh and blood. And he was abused as they were, because of his faith and because of his choice to side with God's people. Moses decided that God and his people were more worthy of his service than Egypt and all the things that Egypt could ever give him. And Moses chose to suffer for the cause of God, to suffer as Christ would eventually suffer, to suffer for what would eventually be the cause of Christ, as the author says. And he did so because his eyes like the patriarchs before him, were not fixed upon the here and now, but they were instead fixed upon eternity and upon the promise of a home and rest with God. Moses understood that Egypt was not his home and that it never would be his home, but he knew that he did have a home with God in that heavenly city. And because his hope was fixed and rooted there and in that belief, Moses could endure whatever abuses he had to in this world. So move on with me now to verse 27. 
And we remember from Moses' story and from the author's reminder that Moses' faith would quickly be put to the test. And he made his choice to side with God's people, both in mind and also in action when he went out and killed an Egyptian overseer. And this meant he had to leave Egypt to go live as a stranger in a strange land who was completely upon, uh, dependent upon God's provision. And the author tells us that Moses left Egypt not because he was worried of the repercussions of his actions or worried about Pharaoh's justice, but instead we're told that Moses left because he was focused upon following and obeying the one. Who is invisible. And we see here a thread of continuity. In the same way that Moses' parents were unafraid of breaking Pharaoh's law, Moses too was unafraid of leaving Egypt and unafraid of Pharaoh's wrath. Now, if you were to go back and look at the Exodus story and look at Exodus 2, where Moses leaves Egypt, you will read that Moses was afraid when the news of his killing an Egyptian got out. And so he fled before Pharaoh could kill him. And you might wonder if these two verses are contradicting one another. But you can rest assured that they are not. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Yeah, Moses left Egypt. But he didn't leave because he was afraid of Pharaoh. He left Egypt because it was God's plan for him to leave. Moses left Egypt because he feared God more than he feared man, even if that man was Pharaoh. Had God wanted Moses to stay in Egypt, Moses would have done so. But the time was not yet right for God's plan for the exodus to come to be. And Moses had to go out on the lamb, so to speak, and to learn how to further trust and rely upon God before he could do what God was preparing him to do. Next, we see where the author talks about Moses' obedience to God's instructions in verses 28. There, the author uh, highlights this obedience thread that we've seen uh, over and over again here in Hebrews 11. And though Moses was reluctant at first to return to Egypt, when we, Moses finally does go back, we see that he never faltered in his obedience to God. He followed every instruction and direction given to him. And this is best illustrated in the Passover. God gave Moses very specific instructions concerning the tenth and final plague that would strike Egypt. God told Moses that on that night he would pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn in the land. And God told Moses to tell the Israelites how they might escape this devastating judgment. And that they could do so by killing a year-old lamb and by taking its blood and painting it upon the doorsteps, I'm sorry, the doorposts of their home. And that God would see the blood and he would pass over those houses that were covered in the blood of the lamb. And those in the houses would escape God's judgment. And in many ways, this is very similar to what we already discussed with Noah. God gave Noah specific instructions about how he and his family could escape God's wrath by building the ark. And God replays this in a way in giving Moses instructions about how the people of Israel can avoid the judgment that was going to be handed out to Egypt. And Moses demonstrates his faith in God by obeying 
the instructions he was given. He believed God would do what he said he would do, both in killing the firstborns of Egypt and in sparing those who were covered by the blood of the lamb. And Moses relayed these instructions to Israel so that they might see God's might and would see the links to which he would go to free them. Lastly, the author presents to us how Moses and Israel together demonstrate faith by trusting in God's providential plan. And we see this in verse 29, where the author highlights the parting of the Red Sea as the final example of Moses' faith. And after the 10th plague passed, you remember that Pharaoh finally relented and decided to let the Israelites go. But just as soon as they started leaving, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he decided to send his army after them to round the Israelites up and to enslave them once more. And what happened next? The Israelites were fleeing. Pharaoh was hot on their heels, and then the Israelites come to the Red Sea, and there they become trapped. They are surrounded. They've got nowhere to go and nowhere to hide. And so while the people are saying to Moses, thanks for nothing, I thought you were going to save us. Why did you bring us out of Egypt, out here to die? While they were doing that, what did Moses do? He showed steadfast commitment to God. He demonstrated total faith in God. In Exodus 14, 13 and 14, we see this. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Moses said, be quiet and let God work. And after Moses told the people this, God told Moses to lift up his staff. And when he did that, the people of Israel witnessed the greatest miracle of the entire Old Testament. They saw the waters stand up upon themselves and they saw the sea split in two and they witnessed dry land appear and they witnessed their escape route appear. And then the people, this generation who would never again be this faithful, showed their faith in God by stepping on that dry land and walking across it. You see, faith isn't seeing the miracle happen. Faith is taking the step onto the dry land. Faith is following God in the midst and in the wake of the miracle. And yet the tragic irony of this story is this, that same generation who took that step, who saw the Passover, who witnessed God's judgment, who saw the miraculous events occur before their very eyes, that same generation is the one who got to the border of the promised land and decided to quit believing that God would keep his promises. They are the same generation who would suffer God's judgment for their lack of faith. And they would die in the wilderness because they tested God repeatedly instead of trusting in him continually. And so now the author of Hebrews doesn't spend all of this time explaining Moses to us so that we will try to live like Moses. And keep in mind that the people who originally heard this message were Hebrews, and they were already very familiar with Moses and his example. The, the author of Hebrews explains all of this to us so that we can see how Moses foreshadowed exactly what Christ 
would do for the people of God. Everything we mentioned about Moses doing today, Christ eventually did in an even more incredible fashion. Number one, we see that Christ demonstrated faith in God by siding with the people of God. Christ put away his glory and his splendor in heaven and put away his majesty and his royalty to come here to the earth as a mere man, as a created being, as his own handiwork so that he could free us from the world, from Egypt, from the things of this world. And in everything he did, Christ showed that he was on the side of the people of God. And in everything he did, Christ showed us how to live as the people of God. Secondly, we see that Christ demonstrated faith by fearing God above man. At no point in his life did Christ ever fear anyone or anything above God. He stood up to Satan in the wilderness. He stood up to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not fear Pilate or Herod or the Roman legions. Christ lived a life that was completely and totally dependent upon God and his provision. And he lived a life that heeded God's word and sought to do God's will completely. Thirdly, we see that Christ demonstrated faith by obeying God's instructions. From eternity past, Christ knew what he would be asked to do. He knew that one day he would leave heaven and would come here to earth to suffer and die on our behalf. He knew that he would become that slaughtered Passover lamb, that ark that would save those who were covered in his blood from the devastating judgment of God. And when he came to this earth, he still knew all of this. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew how the story would unfold, and yet he never wavered in his obedience to God. In everything he did, he obeyed God completely. Just think about that scene in the Gospels, that beautiful and excruciating scene in Gethsemane where Christ is on his knees in prayer and he's sweating drops of blood with the gravity of God's redemptive plan weighing upon him. And what does Christ say then to God? What is it that he prays for? He says, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but let your will be done. Don't do what I want to do. Do what you want to do. And because it was God's will for Christ to take the cup of suffering, because it was God's will to redeem his creation by pouring the entirety of his righteous wrath and suffering and judgment upon Jesus, because it was God's will to take the punishment that you and I deserve for all of our sins and to unleash that punishment completely upon Jesus. Because of that, Christ endured it. He took it all. He went through with all of this because it was God's will. And in everything, Christ was obedient to God. And in doing this, number four, Christ demonstrated faith by trusting in God's providential plan. Christ came to this world. He feared God. He obeyed God completely, even unto death so that he could free us from this world. He came to this broken, sinful world where we live as slaves to sin and death, where the strong oppress the weak, where the bad seem to prosper and the good to suffer, to this world where might makes right, to this world that is so completely infected and infested with sin. And Christ came here so that he 
could die. It doesn't make sense. Christ coming here to die is no different than Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt only to get trapped between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. And as he was dying on that cross, those who mocked Christ said to him, save yourselves. We thought you came here to do something for us. Thanks for nothing. And what did Christ say in return? How did he respond? He said nothing. He suffered silently, like a lamb going to the slaughter. But when he gave up his last breath and his life left him, when he died upon the cross, the earth shook and the sky turned black and the ground split open and the veil and the temple tore and all of creation cried out and said, be quiet and let God do his work. And God did work just as he did at the Exodus. And three days later, when the tomb was opened and Christ walked out once more alive again, that empty tomb became our escape route. The empty tomb became our dry land in the middle of the sea. The empty tomb became the path to the true promised land, to the city of God. And that the, it's at the empty tomb that our journey begins. Before because before we can reject this world and side with the people of God, before we can fear God above man, before we can begin to seek to obey God, we must first trust in his redemptive plan. And we must believe that the tomb is empty. And we must live like the tomb is empty. And we must put our confidence and our trust in the Savior who walked out of that tomb. And we must be covered in his blood because then we are made safe from the day of judgment. But we must remember that while we are saved, this world is no more a friend of God or his people today than it was in the days of Moses. And the world is going to be out to get us as the people of God. And when we side with the people of God, we become the enemy of the world. And the world is going to come after us. It's going to seek to break us. It's going to seek to hurt us and to divide us and to defeat us. And this is exactly what it did to Christ. So we should expect nothing better for ourselves. But when we live by faith, God will sustain us and he will provide for us and he will be with us. And if we have God, if we remain with our hearts and our minds fixed upon his reward, if we remain focused upon Christ, then we will persevere in this world and we will be undaunted and we will know that everything will be okay. For Christ is alive. And the battle is already won. Would you join me in prayer? Loved ones, Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of this message. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the example of Moses that, that just points us to the greatest example of faith, Lord, that of Christ. And how Christ lived a life that was completely obedient to you so that he might come here and liberate us from slavery to sin, liberate us from slavery to death and from this world, Lord. Lord, help us to put our trust in faith, Lord. Forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us of the things that we do that hurt our witness, Lord. Forgive us of our shortcomings and our flaws, Lord, and just completely cover us in the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, help us not to sit upon this message, Lord, but to live it out and to share it, Lord, in everything that we do, Lord, to go and to proclaim this glorious message to all who are here.
so that they too might see the miracle of the empty tomb and so that they might follow us, Lord, as we follow you. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.